Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Well, thank you for joining us. Well, between last week's conversation and today's, it feels like we can't stop thinking about the Super Bowl because, in case you missed it, we discussed gambling last week and whether it's okay for a Christian to participate in that. And then this week, we'll actually be talking less about the Super Bowl game and more about the commercials. Well, one specific commercial to be exact. Amid the ads of Budweiser horses and State Farm agents, Doritos grandmothers, and the Dunkings of Dunkin' Donuts, uh, was an unexpected montage of photos featuring foot washing. Now, if you saw it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if not, just imagine photo after photo of unexpected pairings of people, one washing the other's feet. So, for example, a teenage son washing his father's feet or a police officer washing the feet of a criminal, a mother washing the feet of her teenage pregnant daughter, a priest washing the feet of a member of the LGBT community. Come on. And it kind of goes on from there. Now, the slideshow ends with a few words on the screen. It just says, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. He gets us, all of us. In fact, that line, he gets us, is actually the name of a campaign put on by a nonprofit organization that paid more than an estimated $15 million to air that commercial twice during the Super Bowl. Jim, what can you tell us about He Gets Us? Yeah, it launched as a $100 million national ad campaign, initially at least, $100 million. Uh, we'll talk about how it's actually projected to be about $3 billion, but $100 million back in 2022 to attract skeptics and what are often called cultural Christians, you know, Christians in name only. It's thought to be the biggest ever Christian national advertising campaign in history. Uh, it includes television commercials, online ads, billboards. It's a very, very wide scope. And it tends to be after millennials and Generation Z. Uh, and it's all built around, as you mentioned, the, the very carefully designed, very extensively researched, market-tested message uh, about Jesus that he gets us. In other words, that he gets the human condition. He gets what we're going through in our lives, whatever that may be. There was a group of anonymous donors that donated the money. We now know that it's ceased to be anonymous. We know now that the groups include such folks as the owners of Hobby Lobby. The goal is to invest, as I mentioned, about a billion dollars uh, over the next three years. Um, and that's just the first phase. Uh, but in terms of size and scope, I mean, it's as big as anything the secular world has ever rolled out. Think about a car company or a major grocery store line like Kroger. I mean, we're talking that level of national investment and marketing. And if you've seen them, they're, they're very arresting. I mean, they're extraordinarily well done. Uh, each ad tends to focus on an aspect of Jesus' earthly experience with an experience people might have today. The idea is kind of like the line, okay, you've been judged. Well, Jesus was judged too. You like hanging out with your friends. Well, Jesus likes to hang out and have fun with his friends too. Um, again, all with this whole point that Jesus gets us. Each ad points to a website, hegetsus.com, uh, which again, we'll put in the show notes and just so that people have that. Uh, when you get on the site, the flash page is is very clear. It says, and let me just quote it, I brought it, um, 
how did the story of Jesus, the world's greatest love story, get twisted into a tool to judge, harm, and divide? How do we remind people the story of Jesus belongs to everyone? These questions are the beating heart of he gets us. And then on the site, if you spent time on it, which I, I think you have, you, you can watch more videos. You can click subjects such as relationships, love, justice, forgiveness. You can give them your email and, and so much more. For example, you can watch the foot washing video that you alluded to and that was shown during the Super Bowl and then read an article on it uh, that's about foot washing in the New Testament, foot washing in the life of Jesus and why he did it. And then it gives you at the bottom scriptural references that you can go deeper in to read about it yourself. You can also engage online reading plans that have been designed with the Uversion app. Um, and you can be connected to a small group. And the small groups are connected through Alpha. And if people are familiar with Alpha, small groups is an evangelistically based curriculum that's used internationally. Um, and it's pretty widely respected and, and leads people through the gospel very clearly, very directly in, in an evangelistic way. So it's it's a pretty comprehensive approach. Yeah. Well, let's go back to that commercial for a moment, because at first glance, I mean, especially after everything that you just said, you might think, wow, like this is so refreshing. Jesus loves everyone. And you'd think that Christians would be thrilled to see Jesus painted in such a positive light and on such a huge platform. And yet that's not exactly the response it got, at least not unanimously. So why might some Christians have taken issue with it? Oh, Christians, Christians, Christians. <laughs> <laughs> let's, <laughs> that was my answer. No, um, let's, go, <laughs> let's go back further in the conversation before the actual, con I mean, because I'm, I'm going to have to answer this on two or three different levels because uh, the critique or the response was, was at, at multiple levels. So let's go back further in the conversation. Uh, before the actual content, we deal with the content of the ads themselves. It, there's an article in Christianity Today that... Uh, that uh, pointed out back when the campaign started, and we'll put this in the show notes too, that it's it that much of the tension, much of the issue is between this whole thing between selling and converting, the tension that is there. Some Christians object to using any kind of business strategy whatsoever in the life of the church or to use this, anything from the secular marketing playbook to promote Christianity. The idea of marketing the church, much less marketing the faith, has been an issue for decades. I mean, most of my adult life. And with Christians going back and forth and whether it's legitimate or not. Or not. I remember George Barna wrote a book uh, back in the 80s, I, I believe it was or early 90s, about just marketing the church. You know, here's how to effectively market your church. And you would have thought he would have said, here's how to sell cocaine. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just that, you know, it was, it was pretty visceral. Of course, the reality is, and, and, and I've, I, I was saying it back then, is that, I, you know, like, time out for a minute. Every church markets itself. You're just not doing it well. <laughs> you know, everyone, I mean, do you have a, you know, I would, I, when I would do pastor's conferences back in the early 90s, even when this was a hot button issue, much more than it is now, I would just, if people say, oh, marketing the church is just evil. I said, well, do you have a sign out in front of your church? Well, yeah. Does it have like the service times on it and all that? Well, yeah. And the name of the pastor with a big doctor or something out front, because for whatever reason that was important. Yes. Um, okay. This is back in the day of yellow pages. Do you have a yellow pages ad? And uh, well, of course, you know, okay. You're marketing, yeah. you're marketing your church, you know? So let's, 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 let's not be hypocritical about this. 
um, today. If you got a website, that's marketing. I mean, you know, so I think it is disingenuous when people question whether the faith can or should be marketed when they already are marketing. They're not only marketing themselves, but some of these people are critiquing it. Don't think twice about marketing their ministries or their businesses or anything else. So it's like we're just not being very consistent on this. But um, but I would also argue that the church can and should market itself. It's a there's a message we're trying to get out. As many have said, evangelism is just marketing by another name. And so uh, I think what is a fair conversation is how the church is, you know, yeah, how the church is marketing itself. I mean, I think that that's the better conversation. Or how are we marketing the message of the Christian faith to a post-Christian world? And are we doing that faithfully and, and in a way that's biblically sound? And that brings up the way some Christians have taken issue with the He Gets Us effort. Uh, it's not that it's not about marketing the faith, but it's it's how the faith is being marketed that they're really having issue with. And let's kind of walk through that. I mean, first there is uh, the amount of money being spent that it should have been spent on something else, uh, something more substantive. And I'm sorry, that one lost me. That did not get any traction with me whatsoever. I, you know, my you know my immediate response is people who are like Christians I'm talking about who say, oh, I can't believe they spent all that money on that. It could have been spent on something else. Okay. How much do you think reaching a single soul is worth to Jesus? Hmm. You tell me. Hmm. The man who said the poor will always be with you. Hmm. You know, I mean, you tell me how much the person who went to the cross, what price tag he would put on a single human soul. Hmm. I think I think it's priceless. Hmm. Um, so I, that one doesn't reach me at all. Um, but the but the he gets us folk actually addressed that I thought quite well. And, and they released a statement post-Super Bowl when people were saying, I can't believe you spent money on this. And what about the hungry or something? Let me, let me just read what they wrote. I thought it was really well done. They said, the opportunity to put the message of Jesus on display in the middle of the biggest cultural event that we have and to make his love clear and then invite people into exploring more and reading the Bible. We feel like that's a great investment <laughs> because that's going to unleash all kinds of generosity. That generosity was further displayed in a community service event. He gets us organized in Vegas on Saturday with a local faith-based nonprofit and the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Organizations teamed up to give away bags of food and provide health services for underserved communities. So again, this whole thing between, you know, do we give them the bread of life or the bread to eat? you know, living water or a cup of water to drink. It's like, yes, it's not an either or. So uh, again, I would say, let's move on now and keep moving on to something more substantive, which are the ads themselves. Um, the ads are edgy. They make some Christians uncomfortable. As you described it yourself, one of the foot washing scenes was of a priest washing the feet of someone who was clearly part of the LGBTQ community. Another one was somebody washing the feet of someone outside of a of a, an abortion clinic um, and and some see there the fine line between acceptance and affirmation and I would absolutely agree it's a fine line but just because it's fine doesn't mean it shouldn't be walked uh, the heart of the matter I think seems to be of two schools of thought one that wants to build bridges of interest and conversation and then take that bridge let that lead to the gospel the other that is uncomfortable with that and just wants to instead focus on exegeting every single ad as if it were 
an entire sermon or gospel presentation or should be a full sermon or gospel presentation. For example, they might say, yes, Jesus gets us, but that isn't all there is to the gospel. There's more to the gospel than that. Or they might say, way too many feet were being washed. Jesus only washed the feet of the disciples, not his enemies. And then I want to say, well, uh, Judas was one of those. <laughs> Having his feet washed, I think that's a bit weak. Um, you know, the ultimate betrayer of Jesus of all time, and his feet was washed. But I can't help but feel that some of the people upset over the ads are upset about them for the same reason people were upset with Jesus when he walked the earth. Uh, he hung out with the wrong people. He accepted the wrong people. He loved the wrong people. You know, he, you know, maybe washed the wrong feet or ate at the wrong table or went to the wrong wedding or, or, you know, drank when he was supposed to not drink, ate when he was supposed to not eat and on and on it went. And, but, you know, but again, I, I would argue that, that, that full expositions are not the purpose of these ads. Uh, their purpose is to bait you to a website where you will get a further exploration and in introducing them to the gospel. I just don't know why that simple maneuver, which I think is masterful, yeah, it's so lost on people. It's not like go to the he gets this website and there it just says thanks for coming, have a nice day. You go there and it's like, hey, let's get into a, an evangelistic Bible study. Let's let's get you reading scripture. Let's talk further about this. Let's get you into the gospel. I mean, it's it, it's it's I don't I think the critique is a vapid one. Uh, quite frankly. And and then there are those who, and this is a whole other set of critiques, people who just didn't like the feel of them ideologically. It's almost like their political radar got all wired up and, and, and hypersensitized. Like, oh my gosh, they, this, this feels woke. This just feels woke. It's got to be woke, right? <laughs> well, it's like, I don't know. Tell me, tell me how you're defining woke. You know, I mean, these days is what seems to be like whatever you don't like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, politically, but, um, but, and I, again, I just felt like that was what people were reading into it rather than what was actually there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, and, and, you know, Alexis, non-Christians were not the ones having the problem with this. It yeah. was, you know, Christians were the ones, non-Christians were very generous about it. Christians, um, have a history of being terrible about critiquing efforts. Uh, you know, like, they see what a Christian does to try to get out there in the marketplace and stir things up. And then Christians pounce on it and critique it mercilessly. And, and again, I, I, you know, my cranky side coming out, I want to say to those people, well, what have, what have you been doing evangelistically lately? Right. You know, you, you okay. Uh, if you, if you think there's a better way to do it, fine. Tell me what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I like their way of doing something than your way of not doing something. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, That's not original with me. I, I ripped that off. I think was that Moody. It was somebody who said something like that. Somebody, I think it was, I think it was Deal Moody, hmm. or maybe it was Spurgeon. But somebody critiqued them, and he just said, "Well, you know, you may be right. Hmm. You may be right, but I like my way of doing something than your way of not doing anything." That would fit either one of those men. Yeah, <laughs> but it got to come out of either one of their mouths. Yeah, exactly. you know, Spurgeon had to take his you know cigar out first, but yes. Well, you mentioned that. Okay, so that 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 the way that the Christians have been responding is not how non-Christians have responded. So I'm curious about that because I assume that, you know, not that they were the, the campaign strategically 
tries to avoid Christians, but I don't think that they're the target audience. No, 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 no. And so how has the target audience, you mentioned millennials or Gen Z, have they responded to it in a more positive light? Oh my goodness. It's been overwhelmingly positive and overwhelmingly strong. I mean, I I don't know if you've read the figures on this, over 700,000 people went to the He Gets Us website in the first 18 hours after the Super Bowl ad was aired. Over 700,000. And that's not all. The average time those people spent on the website was twice the normal length of time spent on that website. That's stunning. And thousands went on to subscribe to reading plans and thousands went on to be connected to small groups. And, 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 you know, that's, I, I think that's success. You know, I, I mean, what else do you want? I, I can't think of hardly anything else that would have that kind of effect, um, you know, in such a dramatic way. 700,000. Mm. Boom. Went to that website. Was there, data, hour. was there data about how many of those were Chiefs fans versus 49? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but uh, and, 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 you know, it's interesting when you when you look at the way those ads have been constructed. Um, it helped with reaching the audience that they were trying to reach, mm-hmm. not just millennials and Gen Z, but for anyone who works with the unchurched, the, what they did was was spot on. Um, first, they were they were going to where their audiences live, which is YouTube or the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, the, they, the relative anonymity of the group behind the site and behind the ads helps. It's not a denomination. I mean, I'm not the first to have noted that if they had ended it, okay, thank you, and this message came from the United Methodist Church or the Southern Baptist Convention or the Catholic Diocese of such and such, people would have just thrown all the baggage of what they've got attached to those things onto that thing. But they didn't. It wasn't a denomination. It wasn't a church. And then finally, the ads didn't really play its hand until the very end. You know, Jesus didn't come into the picture until the very end of the ad, and it leaves it at that. No church, no group. No ideological thing out there that was polarizing, just Jesus, um, which uh, ironically in our culture, there's less objection to Jesus than there are to groups attached to Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, much to our shame. Uh, it's very similar in approach, as I'm sure you would, would you know, probably already, you know, intuited to Paul and Mars Hill in Acts 17, where if you look at his whole missiological approach, he didn't introduce Jesus until the end either. Hmm. I mean, the ads followed exactly what Paul did in Acts 17. As one person put it, the point of he gets us is to spark the interest of non-believers not to present a Christology of Jesus in a matter of seconds. And hmm. I think it did that quite well. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, the ad caused a lot of people to go to the website, and some of them were, were just interested in, in what else the um, the nonprofit had to offer, but some were interested in to find out if indeed He Gets Us is affiliated with someone, like if there is some kind of hidden agenda or something to sell, right? Um, one criticism is that while the website affirms that it does believe that Jesus is the Son of God, both human and divine, that not all of its supporters and contributors do. And so some take, and others take issue with the fact that it doesn't seek to elevate a church or urge people to attend church. So in other words, people have been kind of fishing all over their website to figure out, you know, what, what is to, he gets us, is there, you know, a man behind the curtain or something like that? What do you make of all the criticism? First of all, what is it that fuels that level of 
digging in, like I'm just trying to find something to discount this. There's a part of me that just just is is disgusted at the motivation, particularly when it's Christians doing it and it's Mm -hmm. not non-Christians. I get non-Christians doing it. I don't get, you know, Christians. It's almost like I'm trying to find something to to dismiss this with or undermine this. But anyway, um, well, let me let me just uh, I've spoken to some of this already, but let me just go ahead and, and get specific with what you raised as for who supports it. Contrary to what has been circulated online. Oh, and by the way, you don't necessarily need to believe everything you read online. <laughs> and let me go ahead and tell you right now, contrary to what a lot of people have read online, and I've seen you even sent me some screenshots of some stuff, that while the donors behind it come from a wide variety of denominational backgrounds, all of the donors behind it are Christians. Hmm. So, you know, let's put that to rest. It's ironic. It's been criticized by people on the left because it was funded by Christian organizations like Hobby Lobby, and they don't like Hobby Lobby because Hobby Lobby funds conservative causes. So there's an irony in Christians being concerned about who did it. And then, you know, people on the political left, political right were doing that, but political left were like, oh, wait, it's Hobby Lobby. That's bad. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, gosh, I, you just want everybody to take a big breath. Um, as for the role of the church, um, I, again, I, 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 I'm surprised people don't haven't done more homework. They signed up 23 thousand churches to provide volunteers to follow up with anyone who sees the ads and ask for more information. You know who else followed this? Billy Graham. This is exactly the Billy Graham style. Billy didn't have a single church or a single group that supported him. He had a wide variety of people when he went into a town, a wide variety of churches that all were engaged in the follow-up that people were filtered to. And so this is the exact same methodology is from my, you know, my perspective as Billy Graham followed. If someone says, well, you know, he's not for the church. He was for all the churches. He was trying to kind of lift the, the all the boats up. And so this is very similar to that. So I think much of the criticism has been unfounded or doesn't really understand the limited but critically important scope of what this is trying to accomplish. And when people were upset about, oh, well, what if there was some non-Christian money behind this? Well, what if there was, I mean, there wasn't, but what if there was? Yeah. I mean, you know, the question, did that affect the message? Does that somehow taint this? You know, it's, and again, the hypocrisy, and I, I don't mean to sound cranky again, but I mean, I, I don't have a lot of patience for Christians who are just just being two-faced about this. You know, if you're a church, for example, and you're, you're in a building program, let's say, and um, you've got, and you're, you're, you're trying to, to build a building for the cause of Christ, which is, you know, you're, you're busting out. You don't have enough seats. You don't want to turn people away. It's a wonderful, good problem to have and a good thing to have. And, and as you're working to raise money and, and, and to build this thing, you know, somebody who, who produces steel, uh, and you're working with says, finds out you're a church and you're doing this. He says, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a church goer. I'm not a Christian at all, but you know what? I like what you guys do and I, it just feels good. So let us donate your steel. You know, any church is going to turn that down. <laughs> They're just going to see that as a God thing. And well, they should. Mm-hmm. And they're going to take it and say, well, thank you, sir. And, and you know, and, and how can we pray for you and build that relationship and hope to reach that person for Christ one day? But nobody would think twice about that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I just, yeah. Mm. You know, while I was considering all the debates for myself, I couldn't help but think of something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in um, Philippi, and he was he was he was addressing a very real issue in which um, people there were upset with other people who were preaching about Christ because they were sa- they said that those people who were preaching about Christ had poor motives that they were doing it for greed or for you know to self in- in- um, aggrandizement and all of that. And the Philippians were upset about that. And 
it's what's interesting is Paul responds to them, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, who cares about the motives as long as Jesus is being preached about? Like, do you feel like this is parallel in any sense or I don't know? Oh, absolutely. And and here's what's even deeper. As, as much as that may apply and as true as that is, the irony is that, and yet this is even coming from the Christian community who are very much aligned with Jesus. These are yeah. not like somebody who's opposed. So I was uh, reminded as well of the criticism that was leveled at the Chosen which we did a podcast on that I would recommend folks to listen to. Uh, I'm not the only one who saw a lot of these connections and parallels in terms of the criticism and, and stuff. Dallas Jenkins, uh, the creator of The Chosen, actually took to social media in support of the ads afterward because there was some pushback. And, and uh, you know, many who critiqued the ads love The Chosen. Mm-hmm. And they, but they really aren't that different in intent mm-hmm. and uh, or in the kinds of criticism that they have received. Biblically, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I just I just couldn't help but feel that so much of this was felt to me, like what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were doing. You know, that's recorded in Luke 15, where it says that Jesus was hanging around with sinners and eating with them and doing things with them and talking with them. And you know, the, the religious establishment was over in their holy huddle off to the side, and they were muttering under their breath that they couldn't believe this guy. Doesn't he know who who these people are? Don't, don't they? Doesn't he realize they're the enemy? Doesn't he realize that that you know we're to be separate from them? Rumor has it he's even eating with them. And then, as you know, uh, Jesus was so upset, he did the one thing that there was no other record of that he ever got so upset that he did before, which was to tell not one, not two, but three straight stories to tell the exact same point. He was that upset. He'd never done that before. He never did it since. And, you know, the lost coin, the lost son and the, and the, and the um, lost sheep. And, 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 and it's just, again, I just can't help but feel like there's just this, this, this pharisaical kind of sense of, I can't believe you're hanging out with these people. You're doing these things to, to reach these people. And, and, um, it just, you know, and, and, and irony, they're doing it, they're saying it in the name of Jesus. Hmm. Somehow this isn't a full Christology. Yeah. Well, regardless of how, you know, as our listeners might feel about the specifics of the commercial or the affiliations of He Gets Us, what do you think that the organization was trying to proclaim about Jesus? Like, what is the cultural narrative that they're trying to confront? Well, I think it was very deeply Christological. It was a very it was an aspect of Christology that, that I think our culture does need to hear. It's, it really was built around the very carefully designed, extensively researched, marketed, tested message about Jesus that he gets us. In other words, he gets the human condition. And that was the point of the incarnation, was it not? Hmm. Identifying with the human condition in such a way as to save it. You know, God could have saved in any way he wanted. I mean, he's God. And it was the word became flesh. Uh, that's why Jesus' favorite term for himself was son of man. Uh, son of God expressed his divinity. Son of man expressed his humanity. And uh, he was obviously both, fully God, fully man. But again, he used that term for himself more than any other, emphasizing time and again his unity with humanity, a unity that would end up with his way it, like dying on the cross for us, the ultimate expression of the union with humanity taking on humanity's sin. Uh, that he really does get us while knowing no sin, tempted in every way, a man of sorrows. He hungered, he thirsted, he, he was lonely, he grieved over death. You know, he, he, the, So the two mistakes that uh, with Jesus throughout all of church history, anyone who studies uh, historical theology um, knows that it's emphasizing his humanity at the expense of his divinity 
or it's emphasizing his divinity at the expense of his humanity. That's that's uh, historical theology 101 in terms of understanding the back and forth over time. And of course, the answer is the perfect balance between the two. Um, he gets us, keeps both. It puts his humanity on the front end for attention and introduces you to his divinity on the back end when you go to the website, which I don't think is a bad way of doing it, introducing his humanity. I mean, um, using his humanity to introduce us to his divinity. I think that's what Jesus did. Hmm. I think that's exactly what Jesus did. Yeah. He used his humanity to introduce us to his divinity. In fact, again, I think that was the intent of the incarnation. Hmm. Well, thanks for tackling this today, Jim. Like you said, this was such a huge campaign. So many people have seen glimpses of it that I'm glad we could end, as you mentioned, but there's been so much criticism as well out there. And so it's helpful to have the facts, to have the digging that you've done so that we can learn more about who's actually supporting, what all of the, what all um, this organization is doing. That's so helpful. I hope that, you know, if you're listening to this as a Christian, you know, just that even if you watch these commercials or something alongside somebody who isn't a believer of just regardless of what your criticism, personal criticism may be, I don't think it helps the cause of Christ to be like, well, sure, he gets us, but there's a whole nother story to it, too. I think just as the just for unity's sake, I mean, it would just be so helpful to, you know, to go about this on a united fright. Not united front, just proclaiming, yeah, the fact that, yeah, Jesus does get us. And yeah, but I'm appreciative, Jim, of of all that you called us attention to on the website. And I do hope that this is a, a successful campaign. And yeah. So thank you. This was a listener, um, a listener suggested topic today. So thank you for that. Uh, we take those seriously and we try to tackle as many as possible. So if you have anything that you're thinking of that you would like us to talk about, head over to the churchandculture.org website where you find the podcast and you'll see a form where you can do that. And we hope to tackle another conversation that you're interested in next week. Thank you for joining us.